Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. Uh, we're really excited to have Scott Harris from Catoctin Creek on with us today. Uh, we're going to go through, we'll get into kind of what we're going to taste um, in just a second. Uh, we're definitely going to go through a few of the rise. I may have cheated a little bit. I usually like to wait until uh, till we get going. I, I may have uh, may have gone ahead and poured myself a GNT. And for those of you that are just listening on the pod and you haven't uh, been over to YouTube yet, I've finally found a it's actually not even a rivalry. His uh, his home <laughs> bar is beating mine hands down. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean we're de- we're overhauling uh, Birdies and Bourbon HQ bar after uh, after this showing. So Scott. How you doing, my friend? Hey, cheers, man. Doing well. So thanks so much uh, for, for um, what, number one, thanks for sharing uh, a few of your expressions with us. We really appreciate that. Did get a few, uh, few minis of uh, some different, uh, different labels. I guess we're going for the, uh, your bonded. Um, the rabble rouser. Yeah, your Rebel Rouser Bottle and Bond flagship. I'm really looking forward to that. And as I'm tasting this gin, and I, I may be wrong, but um, and, and I am having a gin and tonic. I haven't tasted it neat yet. I'll do that in a sec. But uh, I mean, it, it, it's a rye gin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's like you know, usually when you're having gin and tonic, you know, you kind of get some of the floral notes in in a lot of gins and such. But I guess I haven't had a lot of rye gins because I mean, I'm almost drinking a rye whiskey and tonic instead of a, a rye gin and tonic, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the rye whiskey. Um, I mean, the gin uh, was kind of an outgrowth of the whiskey production. You know, when we first started making whiskey, you know, we follow a traditional sort of Scottish method where we have a heads, a hearts, and a tails. And so we had all this tails accumulating up and, you know, in normal Scottish production, you would uh, accumulate that and put that in the next batch, try to recoup the alcohol that would be lost. But we decided to do it different. We basically then distill those tails separately to remove the fusel oils. And that gives us our neutral rye base that we use as a base for making that gin. Uh, So then we macerate it with herbs and then distill it again. So we have that rye base on the gin. And if you taste it neat, it tastes really uh, sweet. Uh, it tastes like it, it tastes, you know, like sugars in there, but there's no sugar in there. Um, not a bit of it, but it's just that sweet rye base on that gin. It's really, really neat. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you, you may have ruined me, uh, for it <laughs> because yeah, if I'm not drinking bourbon, if I'm not drinking whiskey, right. In some fashion, I'm, I, I go straight to, I, I like some rums every now and then, but I'm probably my second spirit in my lineup would be gin all the mm-hmm. time, whether it's in a, a Negroni or a, a GNT or, you know, some other, uh, a Collins or some other cocktail. And uh, yeah, you, you've, you've created a, an issue for me. In my, uh, <laughs> well, hey, that's now, okay. We got, we can make more. So drink well, it, you know, that's what I was thinking. I mean, now I know where to get it. So, uh, so actually it's probably not that big of a problem. So you, you started talking I and mean, we definitely want to talk a little about the, um, about the history. So you guys, uh, you, yourself and, um, and Becky started up the distillery in 2009. Yeah, that's right. So, so how in the world did you decide, uh, this husband and wife duo, were going to start, uh, making whiskey. You know, it's an interesting story. Um, Becky and I are both engineers, right? So she was a chemical engineer working in things like contact lenses, 
and computer parts and styrofoam kind of things. And um, she was in manufacturing. So her job was basically taking new products um, out of research and development and into production. And I was a government contractor, right? So I'm a computer science guy, software engineer, you know, software manager, program manager, things like that. And so I like to say that 20 years of government taught me a great love of whiskey. And so, you know, I was just like um, a big whiskey nerd, you know, at the time drinking a lot of scotch and a lot of bourbon and, uh, and decided that, you know, I really wanted to make whiskey. You know, I wasn't satisfied with just doing it and uh, or with just drinking it. And, and, you know, having Becky as a chemical engineer, I brought that idea to her a number of times. And she usually told me to, you know, get the F out of here. Um, but eventually, you know, she kind of finger poked me in the chest and was like, look, I'm a chemical engineer. I can make your whiskey and you make money making whiskey. And so, you know, the, the challenge to me was to write a business plan. Um, and, and so that's what we did, you know, and it was 2009, uh, actually it was about 2008 when we started that process. And so, you know, the words too big to fail, uh, Lemon Brothers and Countrywide Mortgage both collapsed completely. Um, you know, the banks were tightening up, the stock market was going in the toilet, and here she is sending me off to the bank to see if I can get money to start a business <laughs> um, with no experience whatsoever. You know, we walked into a bank with 30 pages of, of business plan, and you know, everything looked good on paper. And uh, I know Becky's thought was, you know, look, he's going to go in, they're going to say no, because of course they'll say no. And, uh, and uh, then I will have been the loving, supportive spouse. And, uh, and, you know, hey, well, you tried, hon, you know, time to get back to work because mm -hmm. we've got two boys in high school who are going to be in college soon. Sure. Um, and uh, the thing that the curveball that threw us, the miracle really, was uh, the bank said yes. And so, you know, about six weeks after our first bank meeting, you know, we had a, a yes from a bank and a check for a quarter million dollars in our hands. And we we're like, holy crap, now we got to do it. Like, this it's like oh, shit, they said yes. What do we do now? I know, exactly that, exactly that. I mean, we were just standing there like, man, now we got to do it. So, I mean, at that point, we really just started to put the business together very quickly, getting the equipment ordered, you know, um, the, the, the business plan was really well vetted. I mean, being a government contractor, I was used to writing these kinds of documents. And right. so at that point it became like a blueprint. Okay, well, we said we were gonna buy this XYZ equipment. So here we go, let's just place those orders. And, uh, and we started to put it all together. And by January of 2010, we were fully up and running, licensed um, and producing the first legal, legal alcohol in our county um, since you know at least 1930. Wow, nice. Yeah, you guys are the, the first legal distillery in your county, is that right? The first legal one, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of not legal. <laughs> But yeah, we were the first legal distillery. And even in, even today in our county, there's only like two, us and one other. So it's a, it's pretty small. You know, there's a lot of wineries and breweries out here, but we're the only couple of distilleries in this county. Yeah. And we'll talk about, uh, we'll get into kind of the naming convention and stuff in just a second, kind of the yeah. idea behind it. But before we do that, um, uh, I mean, it's a bourbon show, whiskey show, whatever you want to call it. If we said bur birdies and whiskey, it'd be like, I don't even know what that means. So you just got to ring right. to it, right? Right. You got to uh, have the alliteration. It, it, exactly. So uh, but I'm going to go through a few of these uh, samples. So I think you sent me the 90, the 98 and the cast strength. And then yeah. I've got the bottled in bond and we got the gin. What kind of order are we going to do? So, and, and by the way, so if you haven't been to... Uh, Creek.com and check that. We're going to talk about some of the um, 
kind of the cool events that you guys do, virtual tastings, cocktail classes. Uh, but if we're doing a virtual tasting, which we kind of, we can call it that, if you will. Sure. Uh, how, how are you going to start us off? Well, you've got the whole lineup there. I mean, that's pretty awesome. You've got the three main whiskeys, which are the little bottles there, and yep. then the special stuff, which is the bottled and bond and the, uh, the gin. So what I would suggest is of the little whiskeys of the regular lineup, we've got the 80 proof. So if you look on the side, you'll see 80 proof, right? Yep. We'll start with that one. And then we'll do the 92 and the cask, and then we'll roll into the um, bottled and bond and finish up with the gin. I know, I'm excited to get into that uh, bottled and yeah. bond. I haven't yeah. died. It's open. You can see some's gone there. That's just because I shared some with Dan. So uh, Dan yells at me if I just hoard it all myself. You know? I mean, exactly. it's good to share. Exactly. <laughs> No fun. Well, I couldn't say it's not any fun, but it's uh, this stuff is meant to be shared and have a good time and talk Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. Right? So as I'm pouring these, and I'm going to go to the 80. Uh, so what? A, so Catoctin Creek. I know there's uh, kind of some a Native American kind of theme mm -hmm. about the region and area. You want to share a little bit of that? Yeah. So I mean, the first thing that inspired us to start the business. Um, you know, as a whiskey business was the story of uh, whiskey in America. Um, and how it got started. So, you know, Virginia is the first permanent European settlement was in Virginia, Jamestown in 1607, right? And from right then, from right in 1607, they started making whiskey in Virginia and they were doing it ever since then. And for, you know, a couple hundred years, right? It's hard to believe that, you know, there were Europeans in Virginia in the 1600s, but all through the 1600s, all through the 1700s, um, Virginians were producing whiskey from the predominant local grain, which was rye. And uh, these distilleries were basically just every little farm and village around, you know, they weren't big, you know, factory productions. These were little, what we would today call craft, right? Local grain, little bitty pot still in somebody's barn, um, that kind of production. And that was really inspiring for us. Um, and so, uh, you know, we kind of modeled our company on that and all of the names and everything that we use in our, in our um, process, like Catoctin Creek, sort of pay homage to the region, the geography and the, and the, and the history of our area. So Catoctin Creek is actually a, a real creek and we sit on it. Um, and it's a little, pretty little creek that flows through the Blue Ridge Mountains and out into the Potomac River, which flows down uh, past DC into the Chesapeake Bay. So, you know, just this beautiful sort of Appalachian region that we live in. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so the 80 proof, I mean, it's, uh, I would say, you're getting kind of what you'd expect from an 80 proof, right? I mean, mm -hmm. a good entry level rye whiskey, not overly yeah. spicy, smooth finish, uh, you know, nothing too, nothing too crazy. I mean, as Dan and I probably drink, uh, you know, more higher proof stuff, you know, I kind of taste this and it's, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's hey, good. Uh, nothing wrong with it, but it's, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, you're expecting like that punch and it, it's 80 proof. I mean, that's, yeah, it's uh, that's, it's entry level and that's what you get. So. You know what? It is our most popular spirit, right? Um, we, uh, uh, sell an awful lot of it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, aren't the big whiskey drinkers like you, you guys and us, um, are. And so, you know, the 80 proof is just a really easy going rye whiskey for them. And, um, Becky calls it her front porch sipper, you know? And nice. so like, yeah. you know, Hot, hot day in summer, and you could just sit on the front porch, no ice, nothing needed, you know, and just sip on that, and it's just not going to fight you too hard. So it's just a really easy drink and rye. Um, it, it's pretty full in flavor because we insist on a couple things. You know, the 100% the rye mash bill um, makes it, you know, just have that really, really big flavor of rye, even though it's 80 proof. Um, and then, of course, being a pot-stilled whiskey, we're really adamant about that. That's core to our process. Um, everything we do is pot-stilled. 
and that's giving us a really long distillation time on that. So about nine hours that sits in the pot still cooking and, and changing and, and reducing and caramelizing and all that kind of good stuff that happens in the pot still while that mash is in there. So those are kind of a couple of the key aspects of what makes that a really robust spirit, even though it's, you know, at 80 proof. Yeah, no, I mean, I, no doubt. I'm kind of getting a little bit of a kind of a malty mouthfeel on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, from from that, uh, assuming from that process that, that you just explained. So as we're kind of talking through this and we've we've definitely talked with some folks. Uh, so just for for our education purposes, uh, when you talk about a Virginia rye versus mm -hmm. a Maryland rye. Sure. Uh, is that is that a fair question to kind yeah, of dig that's into? Like, that's what's... a good question. It kind of it kind of goes on from my story. Um, you know, I was telling you about the the first couple hundred years of whiskey production in Virginia and how it was kind of that small scale farm style production. Um, you know, when we get to 1776, um, rye whiskey production uh, in the Mid Atlantic really explodes quickly, right? Because um, we had a war with Britain. And the king cuts off the supply of rum, which was the number one spirit in America at the time. Um, and so people start producing huge amounts of white rye whiskey all at once, you know, starting in the 1780s. And uh, these big distilleries pop up in Maryland and Pennsylvania, um, you know, big factory now distilleries, not just little guys at their homes, but big, you know, for commercial purposes type distilleries. And, um, and they sort of define some styles based on um, those regions. So the Monongahela, which is the Western Pennsylvania rye, you know, is kind of a sweet style of rye from the grain that grows out there um, with some corn added into the mash bill. Um, and that softens it a little more. That Maryland style of rye whiskey, I kind of like to describe it as, you know, one of the things Maryland is famous for is blue crabs, right? Um, those lovely blue crabs um, yep. with Old Bay seasoning. Well, to me, and this is just my personal preference, but when I taste Maryland style of rye whiskey, it tastes like they let a blue crab swim through it. <laughs> kind of fishy funkiness to it. And it's, that's just the style, you know? And so, yeah. um, you know, I don't know what goes into making it that way, but, uh, but I think they got blue crabs swimming in them. So, there you go. Do, you, do, do you like the funk or don't you like the funk? I, I mean, that, that is the question. Yeah. I prefer the uh, Monongahela between the two. But, a little sweeter, yeah. a little sweeter, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little sweeter. Mm -hmm. But the Virginia style is really defined by that sort of 100% rye um, in a pot still. And so that's kind of an interesting, you know, distinction then between those three. Hmm. Yeah, nice. Now, yeah, great, great. Uh, Great explanation of uh, you know, kind of the difference and how. I can so, just I mean, see it now. Scott said this, and we're going to have to do a separate show. Cal's going to have Virginia and Maryland. He's going to have <laughs> blue crabs, and we're going to have to see if we can taste the crabs going through. Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, di dinner, dinner and a whiskey. <laughs> dinner we'll, and put whiskey. Up, we'll put up Virginia ham and Virginia oysters against the blue crabs and see how there we do. Go. Ooh, nice. nice. Yeah, I like that. Nice. Uh, so, are you are y'all able to source locally uh, yeah. for the rye? Yeah, absolutely. So we source from a number of different farms. Um, even though it's 100% rye, um, we basically will pick from about three or four different farms. It varies depending on the time of the year. Um, some of the farms are pretty big and some of them are pretty small, but we're, we're casting a net about 100 miles in diameter uh, from the distillery. So we have a farm in Rappahannock, which is down near the Chesapeake Bay. Nice. Um, we have a farm in Loudoun County. We have one in Lancaster County. So, you know, those different local regional ryes are all coming together. And what it gives us is diversity of flavor. Um, you know, each of those tastes a little bit different because they're in a little bit different climate regions. And so we get, you know, if we just had a single variety of those ryes, 
the flavor of the whiskey would taste very one-dimensional. But by building those together, we get a complexity um, while still being 100% rye. And so that's kind of what we like to do. It also gives us some diversity like you would do for your stock portfolio. You know, if one single farm goes bust or has a bad year, we've yeah. got, you, you know, we're not um, held with our pants down. There you go. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, I, oddly, I mean, I would, I wouldn't have picked, I wouldn't have said this. So I'm kind of going, uh, you know, sampled some of the 80 proof, and now I moved on to the what am I on the 90, 92. the 92. That's the distiller's edition. <clears throat> and, you know, it's I, I don't, I mean, I'm not getting like, oh, it's not overly alcohol. It's not a lot more alcohol in the nose of the 92, but I'm, I definitely get a lot more of the rye. I think on the, I get a different, uh, I, it, the rye hits me different on the 80, and and I don't think it's necessarily the alcohol that's hitting me like that much differently. It's yeah. like the, the the 80. I'm getting this like. Uh, I'm getting kind of that malted that malted whiskey kind of on the 80 versus the 92. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's funny what proof can do. And, um, you know, the 92 basically was an outgrowth of the fact that we, you know, all of our whiskeys are single barrel whiskeys. And when Becky was pulling bottles or pulling barrel samples from the different barrels uh, a few years ago, she started to notice that certain barrels were tasting spicier um, than, than the regular lineup. So about one barrel in every 10 was showing a lot of evidence of like flavors of clove and nutmeg and cinnamon, you know, those kind of baking spices. Sure. And, and so to keep consistency in the product, you know, we, we decided to start bottling that at 92 proof, which accomplished for us a couple things. You know, one, we want the 80 and the 90 to always kind of be very consistent, right? Yeah. Even though they're single barrel whiskeys, if you take a hard right turn on one of these whiskeys, and you've got a restaurant that's, you know, put it in the cocktail menu, that's not good. Yeah. So, but it also gave us the 92 proof, um, sort of a whiskey connoisseur's whiskey, right? We were getting a lot of bartenders and whiskey clubs who were asking us for something higher than 80 proof. And so the 92 then was our distiller's edition. It's kind of our version of that. And it's basically done by the sense of taste. So all of the, the, the new make going into the barrels is exactly the same. It's produced in the same week, you know, the same day, the same rye mash bill, all of that's the same. And it's just how the barrel has naturally developed it differently itself. Hmm. Um, so we have, you know, some barrels that, you know, either have a looser grain or a tighter grain. And those barrels that develop that spicier profile, when Becky tastes that coming out of the barrels, she's going to segregate those and then bottle it at the 92 proof. Nice. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, right. I'm going to tell you that, uh, yeah. Um, the 92 is more uh, is kind of where I'm at versus the 80. Uh, and it, it's just, it's, you, you get a little more punch, right? I mean, you just, you, you get a little, little more meatier, yeah. uh, right? And, and we're starting to get into those uh, kind of cinnamon, uh, you know, spicy, you know, what you would expect from a, uh, from a, a traditional uh, higher proof rye. So, yeah. Right. But, but, but yeah, really good. So you're, you're, you Threw some softballs out there, and this is where the show goes awry oh, because I, boy, I, I take us way off course and I go down the road. Uh, you mentioned uh, the single barrel program that you have, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and 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 uh, the same as everyone else, right? Twenty twenty, just uh, what a hell of a loop that one was, yeah. and and having to manage business differently and, and go down different roads and different avenues and. Uh, you know, as I, I read and there, I didn't see, I, I did see some dollar numbers on the back end of what you actually, of what uh, Catoctin actually did. 
but um, you, you had a pretty extensive barrel program for on-premise and restaurants, et cetera. And I, I guess some of those folks had to say, hey, like, uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we thank, thanks for the opportunity, but we don't know what we're going to do with this whiskey. Mm -hmm. So uh, Yeah, that's exactly right. In, in fact, I mean, the whiskey was completely sold, right? I mean, the bill of sale was signed. It was, you know, transferred over and everything. Um, and we had, um, it was like three or four restaurants uh, in the D.C. metro area, Virginia, Maryland, et cetera. Um, which, uh, you know, couldn't afford to keep their whiskey. You know, they were faced with, um, they were faced with, you know, probably going bankrupt or something. Well, I need to keep the building. I need to, you know, I need to keep right. the, right. Exactly. You know, get, yeah. like, right. you know, fire sale and everything we can get rid of, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, they had purchased a bunch of these like, you know, barrel select kind of labels that were privately customized, you know, actually had the restaurant's logo written on wow. them and everything. So they were like completely ready for them only. And, uh, and they contacted us and said, hey, we, we got to get this back. And, um, and so, you know, we were a couple days, you know, we were like, gosh, what are we going to do? You know, this is terrible. Like, we've already booked the revenue and, and you know, spent the money and whatever. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, uh, and so eventually, I mean, we, we, we came to the right decision. You know, it was like, look, these restaurants helped build us for the last 10 years. We were yeah. nothing before these restaurants helped us survive. Um, and now we've got to help them. So we took it all back. Um, and, and we weren't really sure what we were going to do with it at first, you know, cause they were really different. You know, one was from stable craft. It was a beer barrel finished whiskey. Mm. One was a Chardonnay barrel finished whiskey. And one was nice. a, um, uh, I want to say peach barrel. I'm trying to remember now, but it was a, a fruit brandy fit, uh, finished whiskey. And, um, so they're all quite different. Mm -hmm. And Becky, you know, in her sort of experiments, she's like, well, let me see if I can do some blending experiments with these and see if they go together. And lo and behold, they actually did. Like, what was interesting is those flavors wow. weren't fighting each other. You had the wine flavor, the fruit flavor, and the maltiness of the beer. And they just harmoniously came together. You could taste all those different elements, but it just made it more complex and interesting. Hmm. Um, so we blended them together, and we released it as our In This Together uh, rye whiskey, right? It's got the little picture of the, the people doing the heart with the hands yeah. thing like that. And, um, and we put it back out. And... Uh, and we said, look, you know, we're not trying to make any money on this. We just want to recoup our costs, right? So we put it back out. We sold it basically for its normal price. But then we gave all the proceeds, the profit from that uh, to charity. And um, it was incredible. That's you know, awesome. it, we had 100 cases. Uh, so that's 600 bottles for us. Um, 100 cases we put up on a Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And by the close of business on Monday, they were sold out. Wow. Um, you know, Good for you, 600 man. bottles in, in a day. It was amazing. And of course it was a, you know, it was a goodwill gesture. So people are like wanting to get a part of it and, yeah, yeah, sure. and they were throwing us donations and stuff like that. But at the end of it, um, we were able to raise $12,000 for local charities, restaurant workers and people behind the kitchen and stuff like that, who were, you know, literally in food lines at that time. You, you know, um, you shouldn't say just though, because it, and the reason I wanted to bring that up is that, you know, you, you, often wonder like, you know, how can I help? What can I do? And, and, you know, I mean, you're running a business too, right? I mean, and it's, you know, it, was it good or bad for you? I mean, it, it hasn't been good for anybody regardless, you know, kind right. of what's happened, but I mean, you were in a position where you could have said, Hey, you know, sorry, like, uh, Hey, you, you ink the deal, the liquor's right. on its way one way or the other. And, and, you know, I, I think you definitely took the, uh, I think the distillery took the high road on that one. And it's like, you know what? I mean, the, these are times if you're able to help, you know, help a neighbor or a partner, however you want to look at it, as you mentioned, people that have helped, you know, grow your brand. I, I mean, I, I think that was really, um, uh, 
I think it kind of goes to show, you know, what uh, what Catoctin Creek is and, and just the mindset of, hey, here's how we do business. And I, I just thought that was such a solid move. And, you know, I don't know, would everybody else have done that? Let's let's say yes. And let's hope that they would have. Yeah. Who, right. who knows? But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was a, a really uh, a great opportunity. What we didn't know was that story about how you were able to pull some things together that were standalone mm-hmm. expressions and Again, I mean, is that a is that like a, a gift of oh, shit? If I'd have done this on any other day, it wouldn't have worked out. But because <laughs> just because we did the right thing and we were in the right spot, you know, that everything yeah. just kind of well, kind of pulled together. So that you know, it, it's also like if we tried to replicate it, I'm sure, like, oh, that was so popular. Let's do it again. Like, you know, the conditions aren't the same anymore. You know, like we wouldn't get the same whiskey, and you know, it was really. I mean, I'm being totally you know honest i think it was really popular because it was a goodwill gesture at the time and people were all feeling some need for helping out in some way you know so you know things are different today than they were then and so it's just like this one little beautiful moment in time and i just have to enjoy that um the memory of that and you know it's it's funny because i worked for you know as i said 20 years in other jobs where i was working for other people other companies and when becky and i started this company i mean this is our company so we want it to be you know what we want it to be and uh and so you know we always try to sort of you know lead by you know our principles and and not compromise those when we don't have to you know so we don't work with people that we don't that we don't respect and uh we don't do things that are you know not <laughs> respectful so. exactly that's awesome so i'm i'm graduated to the cast strength and, and you mm. guys do um you uh, is it who actually does and and you know my my fault I haven't been able to attend a virtual tasting yet. That's going to happen. Uh, but I'll talk about the cocktail class in a minute. So, but this is the same whiskey. Mm-hmm. We, we were just, uh, we're coming in at higher proofs, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. So every now and then when Becky's doing her barrel sampling to do bottling, she'll find a barrel that is just so beautifully, perfectly integrated for that moment in time, you know, the grain and the wood, everything is just perfect. And what she likes to say about it is that at cask proof, what she's looking for is a whiskey that, I mean, it's cask proof whiskey. It's, you know, nearly 60% alcohol. So there's going to be burn. But usually when you take a cask proof whiskey, you kind of fight through the burn to get to the flavor, right? So mm-hmm. the first couple sips, you're just kind of numbing your mouth. And then you can start to taste things. And what Becky's looking for in her expressions of cask proof is that the flavor is right there with the burn. Like it's coming through really rich and, and it's amazing stuff. The cask proof. It's just simply fantastic. It's, you know, got these deep, rich sort of cocoa, leather, tobacco, you know, just really rich notes. And the, the botanicals, not botanicals, I'm sorry, the oils from the uh, whiskey that are in there oh, yeah. are just so thick and they just coat your tongue and just the flavor, the finish goes on and on and on and on and on forever. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a I don't see a proof point on this one, but it that should uh, say fifty eight percent on those little. Oh, fifty eight. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah so that's we're pretty typical for us is fifty eight percent. So we're one sixteen ish, somewhere yeah. around it. And like again, I mean, I went from uh, I'm still kind of getting like on everything. It's you know, it's just intensifying that you know I'm, I get a lot of honey on all these, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's kind of tip of the tongue, but yeah. but as I kind of as we have, as we progress through. Uh, as we progress up in in proof, uh, yet to your point, I'm starting to get more of that oily kind of mouth coat. Yeah, and it, I'm not getting anything. I mean, this is if people are. It's, I was on a show last night with uh, with another guy, and he's like, you know, I just don't like the rye. It kind of gets me in my throat, and it kind of chokes me up. And I'm like, 
this is not that kind of rye where it's kind of the, like that, that back burn kind of mm -hmm. heat stuff. I mean, it's, this is very, uh, what's, uh, how would I say? Uh, it's like a bourbon drinker's rye. Yeah. You, you know, we've heard that before. I mean, it's very sweet and approachable. Um, and you know, when we first started making it actually, you know, we've been making this now for almost 13 years, next month, it'll be 13 years. Hmm. And when we first started making this stuff, people would tell us, um, you know, that doesn't taste like rye. That's not rye. And uh, I would be offended by that question. I'd be like, what do you mean? I mean, it's a hundred percent rye. How can it not yeah. taste like rye? Like and, I, I uh, saw what went in the hopper. I know yeah, exactly what it is. It's exactly rye. But, but what we, what we learned and now we can sort of, you know, use words and express it more, more eloquently is that, you know, back then, let's say 2011, 2012 or something like that, yeah. you know, 85, 90% of the rye in the market was all coming from MGP, right? Yeah. And MGP is good, solid rye, but it has a certain flavor, right? It sure. has the flavor of dill and, and um, mint and those kind of green vegetal flavors. Um, and those are completely absent in our rye. So our rye really comes across it more of what I describe as like fruity, nutty, um, rather than that grassy kind of flavor of, of Midwestern rye. And so that difference, I mean, what we're talking about then is terroir, right? So yep. the grain grown in Virginia, the grain um, distilled in a pot still, and then aged in the Virginia climate um, is producing something that is completely different from something made in Indiana or Kentucky hmm. or anyplace else. Very cool. So, yeah. So, I mean, again, it could be what I, something else I've had today, you know, but, uh, but would you say that it's completely missing that uh that minty uh that mint note i would say i don't get it on the tip and i i don't get it you know just on the at, at the first taste on the palate mm -hmm. uh, what i would say is i get i do get a little bit of it on the finish but i think uh -huh. once again but as you mentioned uh you know and kind of where you are and in, in the sweet notes that you're getting they definitely overpower uh, what you would think traditionally of a of a rye whiskey is, right. where usually you're just getting kind of that 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 uh, that cinnamony, uh, you know, big red, uh, spearminty kind of flavor, and it kind of just takes on it, and it overpowers the sweetness. And and yeah, you've actually that you're doing the opposite of that. Yeah, and what I what I sometimes I don't particularly taste mint when I taste it. Now, taste is very subjective, and everybody has their own. But what I, what I taste at the end that I sort of define as rye is that sort of white pepper kind of finish, that little peppery mm. note at the yeah. end. And that's kind right. of what, I, what I'll you know, say. When I taste that, I'm like, yep, that's rye. But that fruity, nutty profile through the mid palate, um, the, mid, the middle part of the um, taste is just you know, really, really sort of distinctive for ours. Um, and when we go out to bars, you know, I'll always ask, you know, um, the server, you know, can I get a Manhattan or a Sazerac with our rye? And, and sometimes they'll bring me something that was actually not our rye. You know, they'll grab whatever well bottle they have. And I can always tell, you, you know, immediately, always, always. It's like, yeah. you know, I, like I can recognize my children. I, I can recognize <laughs> that. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, so our, so all three of these, so the 80, the 92 and the cask, uh, those are regular production, like That's uh, right. all, all the time, right? That's right. So those are regular production all year round um, with a regular mash bill that 100% rye and in the uh, in the German pot still. So we have a German pot still that has a few plates on it that we sort of tune to get the light, right level of rectification as we come through the system to get a, us from uh, mash to finished spirit in one run. So that's the real difference in innovation that we have is a one run distillation. 
So I'm going to let my ignorance run out now. When you're calling it a German pot still, and I, I know what you're talking about. Is this from Germany? Yeah. It's, or it's, it's just it's the from, style? Yeah, no, it's actually made in Germany, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now, the, the rabble rouser, since you grabbed it, so what's the difference, right? So the difference is it's the same mash bill, right? Because we have our same farms, and that's all what we use. Um, but once it goes into the still, we do something different. So Becky will open up the, the column so that we have what I would call basically like a traditional hillbilly pot still. So very much like those old 1800s era whiskeys that had no plates, no columns, no rectifying. You know, it was just a big copper kettle. And, um, and so that's letting a lot more of the boisterousness of the rye come through the distillate. So the new make is a lot more... Um, a lot more, uh, you know, not as easy drinking as a, as a white new make spirit. And it needs that time in the barrel to settle down and to, to get rich. And so that four years in the barrel really sort of tames those fusel oils and a lot of those wild elements in the whiskey. Um, but what comes out then is, is a whiskey that's a lot different from, excuse me, a lot different from the Roundstone Rye before it. Um, you know, the Roundstone Rye, as you mentioned with the 80 proof especially, is kind of tame and kind of easy drinking. And the Rabble Rouser really gives you something to chew on. Um, it's got a lot of really great things going on in there. It's really, really neat. And it's um, coming out in uh, February uh, 8th this this year. So in a couple weeks here. February the 8th. Okay, awesome. And we'll get into distribution in a minute. But I'm, mm. I, I want to talk about this because, again, I... I haven't, uh, other than, I may have had a little bit of jet earlier, but, uh, but in going through the three, you know, uh, the three releases that are out now, and then I'm, I'm going back to the bottled and bond. And I do want to talk if you're open to that. So you mentioned four years on the bottled and bond, which is right. a requirement to be bottled and bond. Right. Right. Um, and so we, we may, uh, I'll reflect back on the other expressions in just a second, but the nose is immediately different. Yeah. Like it is like if you if you were if I were blind tasting and you said, pick out what's um, Catoctin Creek, I could now pick out these three whiskeys. I feel pretty comfortable. I, you know, the, I, I may get lost a little bit on the 80 proof uh, just because it's 80 proof. But the other two, I think I could nail it. This one I would put in a completely different category. And I would say there's no way that that's Catoctin Creek. <laughs> I haven't tasted it. I'm just nosing. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, the nose right. on this thing is, is absolutely fantastic. Well, we made it, it is... different on purpose, so. Yeah. So, uh, and, and it's releasing February the 8th. So clearly you're proud of it. And, yeah. and, 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 and it's a good thing. So before I taste, though, and, uh, you know, as we think about your releases and what you're doing, and you said we want to go down a different path. Uh, we want to do something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I'm not a distiller, never have been, and hope I never am. I mm -hmm. hope I do get a barrel. I hope I am a barrel picker one day or do sure. some private barrels. But, it, I mean, bottled and bond to me, and, and I'm a big fan, and I've got plenty of bottled and bond whiskeys back here. We've got uh, uh, Bernie Lebers coming on the show. I don't know if you know Bernie from uh, from from, uh, from Heaven Hill, but you know, he's a huge advocate for the whole bottled and bond thing sure. and what it is and what it stands for. Right. And, and, and I'm a fan as well. And, and I think just the staple of being able to, to you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, you carry a BIB on your bottle. What does it mean? But right. it's actually kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, it is. You know, it's interesting because, um, I mean, historically, of course, you know, in the 1800s, um, when that came to be, um, all the all the tomfoolery that was happening then was happening like what's happening today, right? So there's all kinds of bottles of whiskey that have been, you know, made somewhere else and then you know put in a label and stuck in a bottle. And 
in the 1800s, I mean, they were doing all kinds of things, you know, using sawdust to age whiskey. Tobacco spit. I mean, mean, all kinds of things. I mean, and so, you know, the bottled and bond was like the first food food purity laws that were established that basically said, look, if it says bottled and bond, then you know it was made at this place, you know, completely. Basically, it was a sign of quality. Like this stuff was original, like for real and made here in this place that says it on the label. Um, and we had always had the rabble rouser has been out now for us about five, six years. And in the early days, it didn't say bottled and bond. We didn't have it on there because nobody really understood or knew what it meant. And there was no value to it in the community, you know, five, six years ago. And then lately, you know, it really started to become like this mark of quality among, among distillers. And, um, and so we were like, well, shoot, man, it's always qualified for it. Let's just start putting it on the label. So when we redid the labels a while back, we went ahead and, and designated it as bottled and bond because now everybody understands that and it, um, it has more meaning than it did before. I think it's a really cool move. And, and I think that it's, um, I, I think, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't mean this tongue in cheek or loosely, you know, I, I think it's a great marketing play, number one, I, because, you know, to your point, people are more aware of bottled and bond. And, and if you're looking for a bottled and bond bourbon or whiskey, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of them on the shelf. I mean, there, right. there's a few, but there's not a lot. So, I mean, I, I think it does. It's a category in its in its own, right? It, it is a category in its own. I yeah. mean, it's bottled and bond whiskey, and I think that's a great way to take advantage of something that was and the intent. And this is I'm I'm, I'm now I'm really doing a, a, a loop on us now. But it's back to the whole thing you, that you did with the barrel program and the mm-hmm. integrity and where you guys are and, and, and what you know, what you're trying to 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 bring to, uh, you know, drinkers. I, I think it's a, a solid move. And, and once again, just kind of shows, uh, you know, the integrity and the brand and, and the label that you guys have built and, and are continuing to build. I, I think it's a really, really solid move on, on your part to do that. Um, so so when you when you decide, I mean, but. So that's that's me saying it, not you. And and you right. you you did you did share about hey we're going to do a bottle of mod because we already meet the characteristics. But were there any? Did you have to change or do anything different uh, from what you were already doing, or was everything literally like it? It was there. We just need the designation. It was exactly that. I mean, we just had to get the cola, the label approval, you know, and. Yeah. Uh, um, and there are some little things about on, on a bottle and bond label, like you have to put your DSP serial number on there and yeah. things like that. And, and so, you know, we had to go back and forth a few times to get the label right. But, it, you know, the whiskey itself had always qualified for that. And uh, so, you know, that's what was interesting. When we first started, too, you know, the, the rabble rouser was just an experiment. Becky was like, you know, what if I take one mash out of the year and just do this, you know, just to see what it's going to turn out like? And so that first year we released Rabble Rouser, you know, which was four years after that first experiment she did, we had one barrel, you know, 30 gallon barrel <laughs> and the angel share on it was 30%. So oh we had boy. 20 right. gallons of whiskey to put out. I mean, it was gone overnight, you know, in the blink of an eye. And, um, and so as we've done it, Becky has grown and grown and grown the program. And now all of our Rabble Rouser is going into full size 53 gallon barrels and she's laying down, you know, a lot more of those big barrels so that, you know, we don't have the infinitesimal um, amount of whiskey that we used to have. Are you uh, still doing a lot of small barrels? We, the Roundstone Rye, uh, the first three that you tasted are all 30-gallon barrels. That's as okay. small as we'll go. But we like the taste of the 30-gallon barrels on that product lineup. Um, we won't go smaller because we feel like there's no time 
in there for oxidization to happen. Um, yeah. So, you know, we find the 30s to be a nice medium for that for that particular lineup of whiskey. But the Rabble Rouser is in the 53s um, fully. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's no secret. I, I mean, rye ages faster than uh, than, than bourbon does. I, I mean, it it, yeah. it, it it happens, right? I mean, that right. I mean, that's the reason. People are releasing, you know, one year, two year, and depending on what what sticker you're going to put on 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 a bourbon. Um, but I didn't see any, and I don't know if it's because I'm I've got uh, you know samples or minis. I don't see any age. Yeah, statements. those are all those are all about two years old. Okay, um, so uh, tradition. All what you would see from a from a rye. Yeah, and pretty traditional for what was produced in Virginia. Again, us following our historical recipes, um, you know, in the 1800s, that was pretty typical. And and you know, Becky will tell you that you know she believes, and I think you said it, you know, that rye can taste good younger, you know. And I guess clearly that's the case because we've won tons of awards for it. Um, and uh, um, whereas I think bourbon does, you know, need a little more age. Um, when I'm doing tours in the <sighs> distillery, you know, talking about age between just rye, bourbon, and scotch. Of course, and scotch is a whole different beast with used cooperage and maritime, you know, Scottish weather and all that kind of stuff. And, you yep. know, it's like super big apples and oranges with people. And so sure. I try to break it all down for them when I'm doing the tours um, and tell them, look, don't be judging, you know, American whiskey by the 18 and 21 year old standards that are pretty common in Scotland. Um, those have not much to do over here. If I was to put something in a barrel in Virginia's hot summers for 18 years, it would come out looking like pitch or tar, you know, and it would taste just about as good. Um, <laughs> and you're not going to have nearly as much as what they have left in the barrel, right? I oh mean, my it's, God. Uh, the price is going up. Brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. I mean, we'd lose about 10% every year. You know, it's just terrible. The hot, you know, we get a hundred degree summers that last from June through October, you know, yeah. and, and that's tough. Yeah. So is everything, uh, you know, I've taken a look at your website. I'm trying to recall. So everything is on site uh, from from barrels and distilling, like you're doing everything in, in one spot or you guys so, kind of spread out? So sort of, we have one single DSP, but we have what they, in the, in the business, a little bit of trade talk is basically a um, bonded facility that's separate, like a satellite facility, but it's in the yeah. same bond. So you can qualify basically if you're within a certain crow's flight, you know, distance sure. of um, of the two buildings. So basically, all of our production from mashing, fermentation, distillation um, to barrel filling is done in our Main Street facility in Percival. At which point, once the barrels are full, we take them out to the warehouse, which we have out in the county, and age them. Because if you've seen our place online or you've been to it, um, you'll know that we're sitting in downtown Percival. So it's a, it's a small town, but we're in sort of that urban environment. There's like apartments next to us, and there's no room for aging and stuff. We're yeah. not like Heaven Hill with these huge warehouses. And so we take it out. Yet. To the yet. 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 Thank you. Um, and so we take it out to the county, we let it age out there. And then when we, when we, you know, harvest the barrels that are ready to come back, we bring them back to main street. And then that's where we pick up with blending and bottling blending. I mean, proofing really not blending, right, yeah, it, sure. but proofing it down with water and then bottling it and, uh, and shipping it out. So most of the work is done at, um, at main street in Percival, except for the aging of the warehouse. Gotcha. So I had to revisit the, um, uh, the bottle and bond, and that's uh, uh, I, I may revisit it again. Uh, and, and if I don't do it, if I don't do it on the show, I'll I'll definitely do it once we get done. I mean, this thing is uh, very solid. And uh, you know, I actually sent out a couple of rye tastings today, and I'm kicking myself in the ass. And I'm like, I should have. This is the one time I, 
I should have cheated and sent this out with the <laughs> rye tasting that I sent out that we're going to do with another guest on the show. Because this one is, um, it, uh, it, I mean, to me, again, I think this, and I was, I was like, so, so you do a lot of tastings. I, I'm going to, I'm going to steer us down a different path for a minute. Okay. But so you do some tastings in, in your, um, uh, at, at the distillery. And I guess you only taste, uh, do you only taste uh, Catoctin Creek or do you ever bring another label in? Maybe we don't, you don't know what it is. And do you ever do any side-by-sides of other stuff? Interestingly enough. Yeah. And so we're not allowed to do that legally in Virginia. So we can't have like, so the answer is no. Yeah. The answer is no. Um, Why is he winking? Why is he winking? We do have, um, you know, when we're doing tastings, you know, pre COVID, you know, in bars and stuff, we would do tastings with other distilleries, um, you know, uh, collaborations or, you know, um, be like three in a flight, you know, or something like that. So yeah, you know, we come up against other folks sometimes. Yeah. I mean, once again, I like, I don't, I'm not gonna. I won't mention the name, but I, I mean, there's like I've got a couple of favorite like high rye bourbons that I would set this beside, and it's you know a hundred percent rye. And I'm like, I don't know. You pick. Tell me which one's which. And I'm like, I don't know if you yeah, really. That's hard. That can be hard. Or or, or or I don't even. You know, it, I mean, I I could see somebody gravitating towards like a high rye bourbon or somebody that did like a high rye bourbon. It's like, oh, I'm going for. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going over here. Um, for the rabble rouser bottle and bond. And uh, I was just saying, if there's anything else unique on the label, but I could easily see people going like strict going for this over like a staple that they, you know, that's, that's regular, that's available in all States and on the shelf and, and right. going over here and thinking that that was a high rye bourbon versus hundred percent. Right. And I, not, not disrespectfully, I'm just saying it's very unique in what you've done with uh 100% rye and, and the way those flavors, I am getting a lot more mint, uh, on this one for yeah. me, for me, I am yeah. on the finish on the tongue. I still got that kind of honey, uh, cornbread, uh, you know, I get a little bit of a kind of spice tingle, nothing crazy, but I am getting a little more mint finish on the, uh, on the rabble rouser. Yeah. 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 It's a beautiful spirit. It is really different from the others, which is why it's fun to release it about once every year. So how do you decide when you're going to do, um, so you're going to say, hey, we're going to release another one. How do you decide when you're going to do that and what it's going to be? Is it, well, is it haphazard or is no, it? No, no, now, now it's not. It was when we started, but um, as any, you know, craft distillery is getting, figuring it out on the fly. But now basically Becky plans a schedule and, you know, every, you know, two days a month or whatever, she's going to put some rabble rouser away um, in the production schedule. So she'll configure things up and, and we'll do that. And so it's all kind of planned and she's trying to achieve certain volumes by the end of the year so that we have, you know, four years down the road, you know, some, some amount ready for, for, um, sales. Um, so, you know, it's not very haphazard at this point, Becky's an engineer, so everything's pretty black and white. It's it. there, there's a, there's a, there's a blueprint for everything, right? Yes. I, I got to grab a clean glass. Cause I want to definitely get to this jet, by the way, Dan, what'd you think about the, um, oh, yeah. what'd you think about the, the bottle of bond? I thought it was great. I think you guys had touched on it. Everything. Yeah. You know, I was kind of getting uh, that you guys were getting as well. And, um, like you said, it's one of those ones that's like difficult to make. And I think you guys nailed it for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, um, you know, it, it, it's funny because it all just started out as experiments, you know, at the time when we weren't really sure what to do. And honestly, we were gobsmacked that the term rabble rouser, we thought it was such a cool name that nobody had trademarked it. So we were glad to kind of get that trademark too. So, yeah, nice. So did you talk about um, distribution in terms of how, how, how many no, states? No, we haven't talked about that. Um, so we're distributed right now in about 27 states oh, wow. um, a lot. in the U.S. And, and several countries internationally. Um, we, uh, in the U S, uh, if you go to our website, there's a where to buy section and you can kind of see what States we're in. Um, but, uh, you know, most of the cities, um, that have big drinking populations, um, you know, so, you know, Chicago and St. Louis and, and places like that, we're in those States, um, kind of everywhere, kind of, it's, it's a patchwork, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of the way it is. Got it. I, I do not see you in Atlanta. I haven't seen you anywhere on the, any shelves. No, in, no. Atlanta's a tough. Georgia. Atlanta's a tough market. So franchise uh, state, unfortunately. So that makes things a little bit tougher down there. Um, we were in Atlanta in the past, but it didn't work out. So you know, it's hard to be a craft distiller sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. So yeah, we're not down there, but we're most of the eastern, most of the original thirteen colonies were in, in most of those states. Nice. Yeah. What do you think? So, and I'm, I'm, now I'm really going off track, but, uh, so what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I think that, uh, not, and I, this is not specific to, uh, Catoctin Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, again, I, I hadn't tried it before. This is, uh, really great. I'm going to get into your cocktail program in a minute, but <clears throat> I think that we saw research. I think there was, a there was a surge for craft distillers with the online business that happened over 2020, right? Right. Absolutely. No question about it. And, and, and I, I think that once again, so if you, I'm going to kind of go back to the beer days. Hmm. So you had like Sweetwater 420, you had, I don't even know if Sam Adams counts anymore. I mean, they're so far gone, but you had Sierra Nevada, they've blown up, you know, they put some stuff, but you had some smaller, you know, I can start naming like dozens off in Atlanta, but, and, and there was, you know, there were people, and we've had several of them on the show and it was like, you know, there were people that kind of started it and they kind of weathered and they, they made it through there were people that uh, that got in, got on in the middle of it, and they they were good business minded people. They made good juice, and and they've been able to weather it. Then you had people that got on the tail end of it. That's just like, well, shit, that's cool, or I, I need a tax write off, or whatever, and it right, kind of happened. Right. So, do you see, or, or do you guys talk about it? We don't. You can be like, I don't want to talk about that, but I'm, I'm and I'm not talking about you guys. But you've been now in the business for. Uh, 11 years. what do we, uh, 11 years. So I would say, uh, you've got a really good foundation. You, you, I would imagine you've seen a huge surge or spike in your business, even though there's been some changes. Um, yeah. uh, what, what are you doing to plan going forward for, you know, what's happening? Well, I mean, you know, for starters, you know, everything you said about beer, I think is happening in, in spirits, right? So I think there are people who have started, you know, there are people who've fallen by the wayside. I think there are people who come into it sort of opportunistically looking for, you know, making a quick buck or, or what I like to say is a vanity program, you know, like, you know, I I have a lot of money. And so therefore I want a distillery or whatever. So, yeah, you know, all those different kind of actors in there, and I'm not judging any of that, you know, people want to make money and and have fun with something. It's their right to do it. Um, but, um, what, uh, what we see, what we want to do um, is, you know, continue to make this kind of whiskey true to what we're doing, which, you know, the, 
the first thing that we're doing that's kind of foolish is pot stilling everything, right? Because, you know, 90% of American whiskey is column stilled because you can make whiskey in about a tenth of the time um, that it takes to make it in the pot still. But we, we doggedly stick to that. We like to say we're obstinately inefficient. Um, and, and the reason is because of the quality of the flavor and the historical recipes that we're following. And so, you know, like we just announced a few uh, weeks ago, our plant expansion, we, we just invested another million dollars into our um, production wow. equipment to upgrade the production to triple our capacity. Wow. Um, but we're still committed to the uh, pot stilled process. So we're still going to be pot stilling everything um, just as they do in Scotland. And, um, and so, you know, for us, it's like, how can we make enough whiskey um, to, uh, to continue to do it at the quality levels that we demand? Um, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick story, if you'll indulge me for a second, because I had this sort of revelatory moment once on a trip. I was in, I was in France, actually, and we were at this big um, whiskey wine show um, in, in uh, uh, Bordeaux. And, you know, this, this was a huge damn show and nobody was coming by our booth. And, and so I was kind of bored. And so one of my friends is Amir who owns um, the old um, James E. Pepper distillery, right? You guys might even have met him. And, um, and he, we were there and we were kind of like getting tired of the trade show. So we were like, what do we just take a day trip and go visit all these wineries in Bordeaux? And, uh, and cause it's research, right? That's right. And, uh, and so we're out there. The, lu- the luxuries of owning the distillery. Right. So we're out there. So we took a trip and we're out, you know, visiting all these damn wineries and, and we happened to meet, you know, this one winery, it was like 10 generations of French families that had owned this winery. They'd been producing some of the best wine in Bordeaux that you could never get your hands on. And, and we happened to be there the day that the, the lady who owned it was there. And so she, realized quickly that we were in the business, that we were distillers. And, you know, we started talking shop back and forth in a very casual kind of friendly way. And, um, and she asked me at the time, so this was, I don't know, five, six years ago. She asked me at the time, you know, well, what are you most proud of? Now at this particular time in our business, we had just come out of like deep levels of debt and, you know, paid off a loan to the bank and we had just turned profit that year. Right. And so I'm the business manager, Becky makes the juice. I'm the business manager. So I was really proud of that. So I told her, you know, well, we just turned profit. And she looked at me in the face like I had monkeys flying out of my ass. She's like, what is wrong with you? You know, of course she's French, right? So it's all about the quality. None of the money matters, right? It's socialism. It's like all about the juice, you know? And I was instantly mortified that I had said what I said, right? I was like, God, that was the wrong answer. I should have said, you know, and you play it back in your head a million times. But what it taught me, I went home with a new realization, right? I was like, I want to be that 10th generation Bordeaux winery, right? I want to be there 10 generations from now still making the most immaculate juice and let's figure out how to make money secondary. Mm-hmm. And so we're definitely doing that. That's so, that's so awesome. That's a great story. Hey, I, yeah, and, and, and by the way, I mean, I'm sure you're gonna be on plenty of other podcasts. Uh, don't don't ask, tell the damn story. That, that's, that's a, a great I mean, story. But that's a yeah. really good story to yeah. come from. To, it, it, but what you're talking about with the culture and the aspect of what you're right. doing, right? and it's like, 
Shit, I, I, it, like you completely, you completely, Scott, sorry, but you completely missed <laughs> the whole purpose of you being in this business. Exactly, exactly. You get wrapped up in these things. And it is a very American thing to do to focus on the capitalistic elements of it, right? That's Americans. And I'm sure that's exactly what she thought when what's I said the What's the P&L? What's the business right, exactly. plan? What are we going to, what are we going to, what are we going to do next? And it's like, I, we don't need to do anything. We, we don't need to do shit next. Just keep doing what we're yeah. doing. You just made a profit in four or five years. Keep moving forward and keep the same standards, right? Right. So anyway, you know, those kinds of little moments, sometimes you learn more from, you know, I wouldn't say that was a mistake. I mean, it was just, it wasn't how I really wanted to answer it at the time, but I learned more from that moment. It was like a real moment of of realization for me. How How many people, though, would have taken that the absolute wrong way, been offended and pissed off and been like those damn, <laughs> the, the French, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. And, and take it the wrong way. And I mean, you actually took it as a learning exercise and, uh, you know, it's a observe, evaluate and, and retain. And yeah, yeah that, that's kind of the, the, the episode. And, and Hey, it's like, we're actually doing what people that are successful, that are doing what they want to do, uh, which is, Sounds like what you got, what you all want yeah. to do. I mean, you that's know, a pretty. I mean, throughout my career, I've always, you know, I've never had pride of ownership. So it's like, you know, look, if uh, I made a mistake, you know, I can learn from that, right? And so, you know, those are kind of important things to do. Now, that said, if somebody starts trashing me on TripAdvisor or, you know, hitting our whiskey really hard, <laughs> I get my feelings hurt just like anybody else. But, uh, but uh, nice. I, if there's little, you ought, you ought to be a part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ought to be a part of this podcast. Talking about getting your hey, listen, wait, I, we we I dumped my pride a long time ago. Dan still has his, but uh, you know. uh, so so I got a I got a question. So you and and you've uh, once again, I love the way you're leading me down these roads. And hey, this is unscripted. We mm-hmm. pretty much started with hey, I'm gonna get drunk on the podcast, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And right. Scott's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. But, but no, seriously. So, but you're talking about you're you're traveling around. So I'm assuming you're a wine drinker. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned some, uh, you know, you threw out some fancy names of of wines and such. And earlier you talked about you did you had the you had a, a brandy, baby peach brandy. But anyway, you had some cask finishes. Um, are any cask finishes like? Are you still doing those, or were those oh, yeah. only for the barrel? Okay. Yeah. So we're still, we still do, you know, we have a couple regulars that we release at the distillery and then we have a bunch that we put in the barrel select program. Um, so, you know, the ones, the regular ones we do at the distillery, I have one here. It's a, uh, finished in a hickory syrup barrel. Oh, wow. And so hickory syrup is kind of the same thing, you know, it's like everybody knows maple syrup. Well, you can make syrup from a hickory tree, just like a maple tree. And so that's an interesting kind of flavor that goes in there. Wow. Um, it's a it's an old Native American recipe that there's a local company called Falling Bark Farm uh, that makes this hickory syrup and they sell it in all kinds of little gift shops and stuff around the area. Um, and then they age their syrup in our whiskey barrels and then we take those back when they're done and then we put the whiskey back in them and age them a little more. Um, we do the same thing with a local maple producer as well. So we have our maple finished dry. Um, but then we also have some oddballs. You know, we've done um, aging in Lafroig barrel. We've done aging in tequila barrels. We've got um, a lot of Zinfandel barrels from California um, and, uh, and a few, you know, oddballs like Madeira and things like that. So, yeah, mm. we like to play around with some of those. And th- that's, again, you know, R&D that kind of finds its way into some of our products. 
God, I got to get my hands on uh, a sample or two of those. I, I'm I'm a huge finishing. I don't like flavored whiskey necessarily. Right, right. Totally it, like, with it, you just, there. it just doesn't do. It's like eh, I, yeah. I'd rather have a I'd rather have a cocktail. And I'm yeah. segueing it into the cocktail thing in a minute. And we don't want to keep you too long. So if you're if you got a, a deadline and uh, you need to drop, well, you, gotta, you can you uh, taste the gin. Oh, I, well, I've been tasting it. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's got his gin right there. Yeah, let me tell you about the gin real quick. So basically, I kind of led off with it, um, which is unusual to do in a whiskey podcast. But sorry the, about uh, that. <laughs> the, uh, the gin, like I said, it comes that we start with that rye base um, and then we macerate in our herbs. So we have about 10 herbs that we use, um, hmm. obviously, juniper, coriander, cinnamon, anise, orange peel, things like that. And they macerate in the in the in the whiskey, not the whiskey, but in the neutral spirit, um, for about a day, about 24 hours, and then we pull the herbs out and uh, and then distill it. And this is quite unusual in a in a pot still. So it's a pot still gin, and what that means is that you're getting a lot of botanical oils coming through in that distillation. So the mouthfeel on that gin should be really slippery, really oily and viscous. And uh, that's because of all those pot stilled uh, botanicals coming through. That's nice. Um, so it does kind of come off as like an old Tom gin in some ways. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's, it's just something completely different. Um, another lovely story to tell you about the gin. You know, it's, it's very unusual. And uh, we were definitely trying to make something our own and not something that was like a, um, a, a London dry. Like, why would I make something that already exists? Let's make something different. Dozens on the shelf, hundreds on the shelf. Right, hundreds. And Becky, uh, we Becky played with the recipe about eleven times before we finally honed in on something we liked, and then we tried to scale it up into the big pot still and and kind of tweak it there. And um, and once it was out there, you know, it became quite popular, especially here in the Virginia area. You know, it's one of the popular gins, um, craft gins around the area, and. Um, People either love it or hate it. Like with the whiskey, you know, it's pretty, you know, most everybody that tries it really likes it. But with the gin, like there were people that we, we never before received hate mail before um, when we started well, it's, making it's, the gin. It's different. It's completely different from so, any gin you'll... Yeah. yeah, totally. And so I actually got a physical letter in the mail with a stamp on it and everything uh, from a guy that that sent me a hate mail. Oh, and it was like there was no white powder in it, thank God. But you know, it, basically, the letter was like, how dare you make this gin? You know, this is an abomination to all things that are gin in the world. And, you know, I can't believe that you would even attempt this. And how dare you? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So and then he signed it sincerely. And his last name was very unusual as a, a, a name that you never never see before, except I had a friend who was a big fan of the distillery who had that name. Oh. Right. And so I called my friend up and I said, Ryan, I said, I got this letter from this guy. It was really nasty about our gin and he has your name. And he's like, Oh God, what is it? He's and like, I, told, I know I hate the gin. <laughs> no, he, he told me the guy's name. I told him the guy's name. He's like, that's my father. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's really particular about, he only likes Tanqueray and that's it. Oh and I, and he, he felt so bad that he bought us this beautiful framed like map of the county that we hang proudly in our tasting room now. He was so embarrassed by his father. That's hilarious. A really funny uh, thing in the end. But his boy, his dad did not like that gin. So. Hey, but but it just, I mean, we we started off the, uh, the show with that. And it's like, you know, as we were tasting and it's like, just because I like something 
or or Scott, you like something or Dan right. doesn't like something. It doesn't mean that it's for everybody. I mean, exactly. it's, it, it, that's the reason there's a whole store or a, and a whole section in other stores where you've got just you know, shit, tens of thousands of express, you've got labels and then, and then expressions of labels and you can just go on and on. Like right. you don't have to, you're never going to have a magic bullet for somebody, except you're going to have the one guy that's like, I'm a Tangeray man. And that's, right. you know, right. And yeah. that's the thing. It's like, if you don't like it, drink something else for crying out loud, you know, but we get a lot of, you know, people like, why do you do it like that? You should do it like this. And it's like, well, if we did it like that, then just buy that. You know, it's like, I, there, hey, there's already people that are doing a really good job at it. Trust exactly. me, they've been in business for a lot of yeah, yeah, crazy. So, uh, and I, I know we, I don't want to keep you over your allotment, but uh, uh, in case you're busy, but I, let's talk about uh, your cocktail class. Yeah, and so, and so so we got rye whiskey and we got gin, and yeah. I, I think that's all we're serving at the. That's the only that's spirits, all you need, man. Okay. Amen, brother. Yeah. And then, and then, so, um, you know, uh, we'll give, we'll do a little uh, tidbit and we'll definitely want to, to plug it. And uh, when Dan and I want to attend there and watch a, a few virtual shows, actually we want to do it in person, but you know, until we can. Right. Right. But um, so, so what's, uh, give me, give us like a couple, you know, one, two, three, what, what's your go-to cocktails, what spirits you using and how you, how you going? I know you're going for rabble rouser. Neat. Uh, here you yeah. go. Cocktail, sir. <laughs> maybe maybe with a drip of water but yeah not much um the um yeah the cocktail classes kind of grew out of the whole covid thing right we were doing cocktail classes in person in the distillery um we call them art of the cocktail and uh it was basically just a, an excuse to get people in the room and we kind of make cocktails together and talk about the history of the cocktails and do some standards and some new creative ones and then when covid hit we were like we need to take this online and and so we get, you know, a lot of like our TripAdvisor reviews now say, this is a Zoom I can actually attend, you know, it's like actually yeah. interesting. So, you know, we tried to turn it into the cocktail party environment. So we get 50 or more people on these things. And I purposely don't mute everybody because I want the chatter, you know, I want it to be a little chaotic. Um, and then we, you know, go together and we're making these cocktails together and, and it's a lot of fun. Um, the last week we were doing one, you know, we did a, a rye-based pina colada because why not? Um, and so everybody's got their blenders out and they're all blending together at their home and stuff. And everybody's a little tipsy and not driving anywhere afterwards. So why the hell not? And uh, so, you know, it's kind of fun um, with cocktails. You know what Becky and I kind of go for um, personally is the classics. You know, we're just big believers in the classics. So, you know, a Manhattan we will play with bitters and sometimes, you know, fruit and stuff in the Manhattan to make it different. Uh, we have a neighbor next door. He's like 80 years old and he likes a little bit of the maraschino cherry juice in his Manhattan. Oh, yeah. So we call it a Dan Hatton. <laughs> and so Becky's like, go make me a Dan Hatton. Um, but we'll do Sazeracs and we'll do um, Boulevardiers and things like that. Nice. With, with gin, you know, we're hitting up like, you know, gimlets and, um, you know, martinis. We keep a bottle of gin in the freezer so it's ice cold all the time, um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, we're pretty much going for those classics. Becky's a big fan of the Negroni, um, you know, so she can put those down. 
So. Oh, he's speaking and cow's Dan, language do you, now. Do you, do, you, do you want to or do you want me to? Well, first off, I love the Dan Hilton idea, first off. That's a great idea. But then secondly, <laughs> Cal's going to join all of these classes. You're hitting all of his bells, man. I'm well, telling you. I, so I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bomb I'll send you up. guys the invite. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we would love to, uh, you know, we may take a picture or something every now and then. Yeah, and I'll, post I'll it invite on you our, for the next on one. It's on Friday. Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So hopefully if that's something you can do. Yeah, it could be. Uh, well, what else are we going to be doing? Time hasn't changed, so I can't be playing. I mean, golf, we're done by like 5.59 exactly. or 6 o'clock, so it's dark. So right. that's absolutely, we would love, we'd love to get on a show. And I, mean, I know we're not on the show, but we'd love to participate. Yeah, sure. I'll shoot you the link. Yeah, cool. yeah, we, we'd love to. Uh, we'd love to engage with that. And uh, uh, let's see, Matt Horanic. By the way, uh, you've got Jen coming. Actually, you've got Rye Whiskey and Jim coming for uh, for a Boulevardier and a Negroni for our next show. So, uh, yeah, a friend of the show, Matt Horanic, WM Brown Project. Uh, we're I'm gonna I'm gonna I just sent him a thing yesterday, but he's getting another package. He's gonna be like, oh shit, we're gonna be drunk <laughs> at the end of this show. Uh, so yeah, it's good, but good stuff, man. Yeah, we we love it. Um, so, so Scott, yeah, we, we don't want to keep you, man. We, we appreciate you so much for coming on. What didn't we touch on? I know I went around, I went around Virginia and back. So yeah. what, what do you, what, what do the people need to know about, uh, Becky and Scott Harris and Catoctin Creek? <laughs> Boy, we did cover a lot, man. We covered the history and the making and all of that stuff. Um, the, the, if you, uh, are visiting the area, you can visit the distillery. Even with COVID, we're running at about 50% capacity. Cool. Um, so if you're coming into the distillery, you know, we're keeping it pretty safe. We're, we're separating everybody and wearing the masks and doing all what we should be doing. Um, we're only about 20 minutes from Dulles Airport. So if you're doing um, travel, nice. when that happens again, God knows. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people, you know, if you have a long layover at Dulles, give me a call, come out, I'll get you a tour and we'll get you back before your plane takes off. Nice. We're that close. Wow. Um, and if it's you do come sweet. to the distillery, you know, we'll walk you through the process. You can see all the stuff in our historic hundred year old building, uh, former Buick dealership uh, from the 1920s. Um, and ask oh, wow. for Otto. Otto is our distillery dog, a little black pug puppy that we just got a year ago. Nice. And uh, he's a he's a cutie. So everybody likes to ask for Otto, Otto the pug. Nice. That's really cool. Otto the pug. <laughs> Uh, he well, steals awesome. the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I've had a hell of a time. Yeah. I've got, uh, I got a little bit of a buzz. Nothing crazy, but uh, uh, I'm definitely going to get this stuff. Is yeah. Really, it's, it, that, I'm that, glad you like it, man. That, that, I mean, it's um, it's special. And uh, tell you, I'm going to put it up beside a bottle of fighting cock and uh, give it a sample and see how it goes. And uh, I, like, I think this is going to go like, oh, that's actually really <laughs> <damn>. so, <clears throat> sorry. I'm mumbling. I you know, didn't want to disclose too many names and, and too much stuff. But yeah, awesome, man. Um, well, Scott, what uh, did we leave anything out, my friend? No, I think you guys were pretty comprehensive. Yeah, I, we would. Uh, I'd, we'd love to get well, up that's a first. Uh, once, <laughs> once things. Well, actually, we may be coming up to play. Are you a golfer at all? Yeah, I, I actually used to golf a lot more when I had more time before I owned a company. So. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if you know Mike Strantz, but I, I think he's got a Mike Strantz has a golf course and it's not close, but I think once we get to, uh, eh, the name's escaping me, but the Virginia, anyway, I'll, I'll send so you a Robert message. Trent uh, Jones, I think is one of the big ones up here. 
Uh, well, cool. We'll, uh, we'll have to get up there once, uh, once we get vaccinated, uh, yes. we're heading your way, my friend. All right. Sounds good guys. You have an open invitation. Perfect. Thanks so much. Scott. Thanks so much, buddy. All right. Cheers, uh, you guys. Yeah. Cheers. We'll spread the word, man. And spread the whiskey. Cheers. Spread Cheers. the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs>